You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. Have salt. Live at peace. Kind of a, an enigmatic statement as a title. I'll read Matthew chapter 18, verse 6 to you. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble... It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come. But woe to the person through whom they come. Here Jesus is speaking in the famous passage, Matthew chapter 18, where he's talking about the church, the local church, and the interaction of people in that church and relationships in the church and when there's problems with relationships in the church in that passage it's where he says if you have aught with your brother you speak to your brother hopefully settling that issue but if it escalates to a further problem then you take two or three others and you come in a group and you work out that issue and if it gets beyond that then you might have to let the whole church know what's going on so that there can be reconciliation or separation. And what Jesus was saying in this passage about the church is that, that sometimes you will walk together and be together, but there are some times where there will be a divergence or separating, something like this. And of course Jesus spoke about that the fact that there's a right way and a wrong way to do all things, but that we should always strive for the harmony of the church, the togetherness of the church, as all people are. And Paul wrote this Having experienced difficult moments in ministry, his episode with Barnabas was famously written about and their differences and what was before that time seemingly a successful alliance, something came up that caused them to be uh, very angry at each other, contentious toward one another. No small contention, the Bible says. In other words, it was, it was a big deal between Barnabas and and. Paul. But God didn't judge either one of them. And in fact, they decided that the best thing they could do is to go in different directions and continue to serve God. And that's exactly what they did. Sometimes we think that God should do some things that we believe. Sometimes we guess that God should and will do what we feel in our hearts should be done. And we may even take actions, make choices, and do things in the name of Jesus, by the authority of Christ, that are not what He intended to be done. And really the passage, because this excerpt, what he's saying here about the millstone in the other context that we see this in the book of Mark, which is part of our daily reading, when I went through it, I saw it and I began to study this passage. And I thank God this year through the messages that I've been receiving because I'm seeing things I've never seen before after more than 30 years of deeply studying the Bible and teaching these passages. I'm being blown away. Over the last six, seven messages, I'm seeing things I never knew were there. I didn't see them before and God's just opening my mind and as a result of that opening of my mind, my heart is opening and he's changing things. I'm being rebuilt, 
refashioned, remodeled into a different person. And I'm so grateful that he's not finished with me. I'm so grateful that I have not reached a place where I cannot continuously be evolving into something new. So I'm excited about the newness of the work that he's doing. And I think all of us can look into this and learn some very important things about relationships. And really, we're going to see seven things about living at peace with man. This is the passage from verse 38 all the way to verse 50 of Mark chapter 9. And so in this message about relationships, we'll find that relationships cause opportunities for us to either stumble or make someone stumble. And this is where we need to be careful. So we hear Jesus say that offenses are inevitable to all people. He said that it's going to come, but woe to the one through whom it comes. So that means that he has an opinion about offenses. He knows and accepts the fact that they will always come. But we need to really guard our hearts and be careful and listen closely to what Jesus is saying in this passage in Mark. Because I believe there are some life saving points of information that we can glean from this passage. We have to consider that in this concept that we're going to cover tonight, we're either causing someone to stumble or we're being made to stumble. And the question is, which side of the relationship are you on? Because you don't want to be found being the one that's causing stumbling. Because Jesus is very serious about what he will do to those people. You would think, well, that's the world because he says they're the world, not in Mark. He turns to his disciples and tells them. Because the culprits in this story, are it's not the world, it's not someone not in Jesus' group, but the culprits are his disciples. And he's addressing this issue, directing these words toward him. And there are some things we're going to read that have always been enigmatic to me or hard to understand, a bit puzzling that I understood in a whole new light. I was excited about during this day, and I want to share those with you tonight. But these are seven things about living at peace with man. Let's just go ahead and begin. Number one, differences exist between God's people. That's a fact. Mark 9, 38, teacher, said John. Now, first of all, consider who's saying this. John is a sweet guy. John is a loving man. John seems to have a trustworthy position with Jesus laying his head on his chest and fast forward 60, 70 years, even when he was on the island of Patmos, of all the people that God decided should receive the Revelation, capital T, the Revelation, the book of Revelation, it was John. Because Jesus knew, I can trust John. So John, in this story, it mentions him specifically. John says... You know, Jesus, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop. Why? Because he was not one of us. Now, that's pretty weighted, what he's done. This, as I said, the loving guy has now decided to tell someone operating in the gifts of the Spirit, operating in the name of Jesus, and bringing deliverance and help to people. He has told this person to stop what they're doing. And now you have to consider from the perspective of the one to whom he's speaking, stop what you're doing. This is John. He knows who John is. There's an inner circle around Jesus. 
He knows who they are, Peter, James, and John, because he's seen Jesus. How else could he have believed in him enough to take that authority and power that came out of his ministry and go elsewhere and operate and cast out spirits and do the work in the name of Jesus for people to get set free? He knew who Jesus was, so therefore he also knew that John was, gosh, his right-hand man. Literally, his right-hand man. Right there at his side all the time. So when John spoke in what was presumably the authority of Jesus to this man, you should not do that, what do you think that man felt? He felt horrible, I'm sure. He felt punished. I'm sure he felt guilty and confused about missing it somehow. How did I miss this? I thought Jesus told us to go and teach and preach. I thought Jesus told us to go set the captives free. I noticed what he said. He taught me this. But John's now telling me I can't do this anymore. So it has to be right. It has to be real information because it's John. Who is closer to Jesus than John? If anybody knows the heart of Jesus, it's beloved John. So, I guess I can't cast spirits out anymore. And what was an active ministry has now died. What was joy, excitement, the exuberance of watching people get set free, the gospel, alive, it's now dead. Why? Because of a miscarriage of authority. Because John spoke something. And not only did he speak it, but he's proud of the fact that he did. As far as he was concerned out there, he was deputy God going around telling people what they should do. He was operating in, in as if he were already in that throne of judgment in the eternities. Don't you know that you will sit upon 12 thrones? I mean, he's thinking, well, I'm going to be on that throne. I might as well start calling the shots here. So he spoke in authority and said what he said. But I really started thinking about this poor guy today. And I'm not the only one thinking about him. Jesus is intensely concerned with him. But John now is saying in error that, look, I, Jesus, guess what? You know what I did? You're going to be proud of me. I found this guy out there. He's not in our group. He's not part of the 12. He's just some other guy out there. He's casting out demons in your name. Who authorized him to do that? So I said, you could not do that. So don't worry about Jesus. I took care of it for you. And often I find that we decide to take it upon ourselves to do God's work in the sense that speaking things in authority that we think God believes and feels that may not be true. So, acting as apostles, walking in authority, discovering that somebody had done this, he, he spoke. And, and really this... I believe amongst the disciples, uh, an air of exclusivity had evolved. They're the mighty twelve, the great twelve. I almost see them on, on, on some movie poster. The mighty twelve, you know, po posing like a boy band. The mighty twelve, the twelve disciples of Jesus, all proud of themselves. And the, I mean, after all, they've been told some wonderful things. They're excited about it. But this is, a, this is, a, this is wrong. We're going to find out how serious it is in a moment. And so this, this anyway, what is evolved with the disciples at this point to, to facilitate such a miscarriage of authority is not right. They're in error. Now this is the one thing I love about our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus. He leaves a very big margin for error. 
He knows that we are not perfect. He lets us mess up so many things so often. He just walks with us because He knows that we are being developed. We are learning. We are like little toddlers stumbling and falling. He does not prohibit us from walking any longer just because we fall. He just wants us to get up and get better. Just keep learning. Keep learning. But there's sometimes that He has to bring a reprimand. He has to bring correction. The same in the body of Christ. Commonly, this, this whole thing I see here is seen between ministries, denominations, different churches. People start to believe that Jesus has only one group that is truly sanctioned legitimately as, as the called of God. Often you see that kind of pride evolve in a church, maybe because they are successful. Maybe because they've grown very big. And I will have you know that just because a church grows big does not mean they're operating 100% in God's authority. And if that's the case, well then the Jehovah's Witness are operating in God's authority. And the Mormons are doing great in God's authority because they've grown into massive, massive millions and millions of congregants globally. So we know what the, what the doctrines are there. We know that that's not what God has authored. So it is with churches. We tend to look at the bigger churches and decide, well, they're the ones really operating in, in God's authority and God's power. And I think this is what happened with the disciples. I mean, they're the ones doing it. They're the ones with Jesus. I'm sure they looked over outside of the group of 12, looking at each other, thumbs up, then look out at those other people out there, the little ones, and thought, yeah, you, you're not the 12. And so what happened? John comes along, he sees this guy. And this guy's doing stuff. He's casting out demons. He's operating the fire of God. That, I think John was disturbed, if not jealous, and had to come up with some way to shut that down. And I have been the one out there casting out devils and have had John come to me and try to shut me down before. I have seen, and this is what I heard a long time ago from Rodney Hart Brown's very interesting comment. He says, you know, we all talk about spiritual warfare and the powers Oh, oh, the prince of the power of the air and the powers that dwell if you want to territorial spirits he says I'll tell you how you can meet the territorial spirits in any region of the world he says, go start doing something for Jesus just go choose any place in the world go start doing something for Jesus you don't have to identify the territorial spirits they'll come knock on your door they will knock on your door you will open it and it will be brother Sucklemon looking at you why, what authority are you doing these? They will come. I know I've been approached by them many times. Come and, and, and ask me, who are you? Who do you think you are? And with them comes a whole load of stress and feelings and animosity. Anxiety surrounds them. And I begin to feel judged. I've felt it through the years many times. Why? Because I am not a part of them. And because I'm not a part of them, I therefore cannot possibly be anything that God has ordained or authored. This is John's assumption. He's deciding that this is not of God. And he's so proud of it, he tells Jesus. And this is the danger of being anointed. We all want to be anointed. We want to have the Spirit of God. We want the evidence of the gifts of the Spirit and the Spirit flowing through us. But just because we have that, it does not mean we are not going to make some serious mistakes does not mean we're not going to step out of the boundaries of the jurisdiction of the real authority of God and do things that are going to hurt people. 
So we need to expect ourselves to possibly do these kind of things and be ready to yield to, heed to the warning that Jesus is about to give to his disciples. Because there's a danger in being anointed. You become, you become so impressed with yourself because of the Spirit flowing through you, you decide somehow that's you. Somehow that's about you and you're, well, you know, you begin to take credit, at least in the, I know how to yield. Because I know how to yield. I am, therefore, God's favorite. Now, there may be some truth in some of that. You're going to find out in a minute that Jesus definitely loves his disciples, but we need to be very careful. Jesus had to teach these disciples something. So John's told them, waiting. He's waiting for Jesus then to respond and say, Really, John? Man, that's awesome. Thanks. You know, we need to make sure that things don't get out of hand here. Can't just let just anybody willy-nilly go out there and start casting out demons. What kind of ministry will we have if they're not authorized? If they don't have the pastor's consent, if they don't have Bishop Dean's consent to do this, if they don't have Apostle Watson's written authority to do this, then well, who are they? What are they doing here? What are they? This is my city, you know. Who gave you the city? Who authorized you to take that region, that place, or... Well, you see, you we can become a territorial spirit and decide. But God sent me, you know, God did. And I had, recently I had some encounters like that and dealt with some people in love, and that's part of the reason why this message was very clear to me, too. And I just only respond with love and kindness, and, and really, if it's about whose authority is there, or how about some longevity, I start mentioning how long I've been doing what I'm doing, then I start mentioning how long I've been operating in a given era, Ten years before they ever thought about being there. And suddenly, whoa, according to your criteria of who's more important, suddenly the tables turn. I am the mighty one in authority. Because I've been in this region for this. See, it's so pathetic. It's so childish and stupid. We need to make sure that we're doing the right things, serving God together in unity. Number two, he, he responds. He's ready. John thinks he's going to get a high five. Yeah. No, he says, do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle of my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us, John. He's not happy. We are all brothers by another mother. It's an expression I knew when I was a boy. Hey, my brother by another mother. Meaning, we're like fraternity of people together. We are all this. We're Actually, this is a true statement because... We, if you look at it, are members of the body of Christ, also called the bride of Christ. And so everybody technically falls into the feminine category, even pastors and leaders. But there's only one man, there's only one father, one husband, God Almighty. So therefore, your pastor, my pastor, your apostle, my apostle, different those are just different mothers of the same father. So we are brothers of another mother. And it does not matter, we're still brothers. We cannot divorce ourselves from one another, yeah. no matter what we think. And Jesus is pointing this out. Because if they're not against us, John, they're for us. Can't you see the people that are chasing us, trying to kill us? Don't you know we're having to flee for our lives here, John? And that we're running because people... And finally, one person is actually doing something in agreement with us. And you told them to stop. What are you, crazy? <laughs> we finally have people doing what I'm teaching. And you're going to tell them to stop. Why? Where is this mis 
guided allegiance or loyalty to some code that Jesus did not write was in John's heart. And it really started making me think about a lot of interesting things in my life over the last 30 years. Jesus tells them that they should not stop him. If the man is doing miraculous things in the name of Jesus, how can he say something bad about me? He says, why, why was he going to... The miracle he's claiming is from my name. He spoke my name. The miracle happened. He cast out demons. He's authorized in my name. So you think after he says that, he's going to immediately turn around and say, well, you know, this Jesus is a bad guy. I just use his name every now and then. That's crazy. So if this person is not working directly against this Jesus and his private band of disciples, because this is the Jesus team. The Jesus team was the 12 and him. That's the Jesus group. And they developed that mentality, us four and no more mentality. We're the ones. We got it going on. It's not true. Jesus had, Jesus even mentioned one thing. I have a whole fold of sheep you don't even know about. And of course, he was referring to the Gentiles. Don't get to thinking that you're irreplaceable. To the left, to the left. So you, anytime that God needs to, he's got people out there. I have seen people show up that are anointed and empowered and full of the Holy Ghost, more anointed than I am in places I would have never expected to see them. I went out there looking to be able to set people straight and be the great apostle and do what I need to do, thinking that these little ones need my help and I will come and cast my shadow upon them and certainly they will be healed. You know, I'm just speaking out the, the, the patheticness of the pride of the human heart and mind. We operate these ways sometimes. Especially when we've been anointed. Especially when God's showing up like He shows up in our meetings. Especially when we step out in the nations and see things happen and people get healed and we begin to think we really are something special. No, we are earthen vessels. The treasure is doing the work. We're just containers. And He can just as easily put that treasure in any vessel He wants, whether you give Him permission or not. He didn't say, and whatever you bind on earth, I, I can't do it in heaven. You've limited me, and I'm under your authority. And, and whatever you lose, okay, thank you, church, for loosing me. I'm so glad. No. I didn't do that. So to understand what Jesus is saying to them, we have to find the error in thought of the disciples. Where is this error coming from? Where, what's the root? Find it at the roots, root it out curse it to death, let it dry up at those roots, and pull it out so this error doesn't continue. Why? Why they're wrong. Why is John wrong? Why are they wrong? They supposed to assume that because they were with Jesus, that more anointed than the other guy, because we can equate that more Jesus means more anointed. If Jesus, let's say, because to me, I, it's healthy view to look at the Gospels and think of Jesus being with the disciples is tantamount to the Holy Spirit with us now. He said, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So today, Jesus is with us. Sometimes he's more with some than others. Not by his choice, but by their deference. So let's say we, we have more Jesus with us. More Holy Spirit. Because we defer more, we yield more. Well, it shows up in the manifestation of the Spirit. So we can step out with that manifestation do great things. Let's say that they do not have as much. Then I see an analogy here. This guy that is not with Jesus is less anointed, you could say. 
or maybe does not even believe the same things or the same way that I believe about the Holy Spirit. And that's where I have to be careful. They suppose and assume that this guy uh, was therefore, because he's not in the Jesus group, more anointed, then he's ostracized, he's put into another category, and we have the exclusive rights to doing ministry in this area. And he was in the area that they were ministering because that's why I saw this guy right here in our jurisdiction. He was in our province. He was right here in our own parish. And he did these things, and I, I, I told him he can't do that because we did not. I know, I've been in all the meetings, Jesus, and I never saw him there. He's never, you never laid hands on him, authorized, and sent him out. He probably just just heard. In fact, if it was somebody well known to Jesus and the disciples, likely he would have given a name, said who it was, it was just a guy. Some guy, and that's because of the posterity and value of Scripture, that's how it's given to us. So that we can spend this moment here Thursday at Antioch Center for the Nations considering this as a message. And I see it crystal clear. I've seen it all day, thought about it all day. And you know, I've also seen this kind of behavior, this childish mentality in myself and in my contemporaries for many years in the ministry. And I've seen it all over. And, and really, I've attempted and am still striving to learn from this passage to remedy my stupidity. Starting with my ignorance. Ignorance is one thing. Stupidity is a whole other species of zebra. Ignorance is not your choice. You just don't know. Stupidity is knowing the difference and still choosing the pathetic path. Simply because you like the old wine better. Or whatever your choice is, that's just stupid. That's dumb. But ignorance, at this point, he does not immediately cut John's head off. He doesn't have him executed. He does not banish him. He does not throw him away into weeping and gnashing of teeth in that moment. He decides, I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to just, I'm going to take into consideration that John, you're just ignorant about really what you've done. Obviously, he was. He would have never come proudly to Jesus to make this declaration. So he's operating in ignorance, and I have, I have to think, well, maybe we're doing that too, at least in some areas of our life. And it is a very healthy perspective for us to accept that most likely we are in error somewhere in our life. And if you have that mentality, you will always be on the lookout for that error. Wanting it to be replaced. Let it be fixed. And so I yield to this message tonight. And really the error here, the real issue under this and over and above is the issue of issues when it comes to this, it's control. Bottom line. Man wants to control. Man wants to manipulate. He wants to know who's in charge, who's the boss. Obviously, Jesus was the boss of the disciples, but what about this other guy who was not connected to him the way they were? So therefore, in this case, who's the authority? Who's, in, who's superior, me or him? In other words, up from that perspective, operating under flawed mentality, that that's how Jesus sees it. And then when we step, actually the Bible says it well, Paul wrote, anointed by the Spirit of God to esteem others as superior to yourself. It's easier. Just think everybody's better than you. And the way up is down in the kingdom. Just submit to everybody. But pride, pride did not allow John to do that. Why didn't John just submit to this guy and say, you are a mighty man of God. I'm so glad. Man, it's so nice to see somebody doing the things that we're doing. But instead he did just the opposite. Why? Because he, he was not in control. 
He had already been accustomed to operating in a certain realm of prestige and honor by association with Jesus. Same thing happens with the Holy Spirit and the anointing. We operate in a certain level of prestige and acceptance and, and even exoneration by Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves me. If I didn't know any better, and I'm using sheer human pathetic terms, I think the Holy Spirit is proud of me at times. Because He shows up through me in ways when I go places nobody he's like he is showing people it's like he wants people hey check this guy out and he does it by manifesting his power and I feel great because the people wow I feel that that's powerful that's wonderful and I start to think well you know I am in tight with him we are close so the same mentality starts to evolve some kind of superiority and Jesus does not look at it that way at all he honors and loves, but he also has many, many things he has. He is stirring a lot of pots at the same time. We're just in one pot. But he's got thousands of pots. And he's simmering them all. He's cooking masterful, uh, delicious works of art in all the pots and all the ovens of the world. We're just in this one, and we think we are the prime rib. Who's the boss? Obviously, Jesus was the boss here, but there's more to it. So Jesus does not see it this way. Number three, we will be rewarded for loving our brothers. This is the first thing he says. Look, truly I tell you, anyone who gives you, John and the disciples, a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah, touching himself, will certainly, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So he's telling, okay, look, let's get this straight from the beginning. You are blessed, John. You are anointed. And wow, you're with me. Jesus, Jesus didn't have to mince words about things like that. He, he knew who he was. He calls himself the Messiah here. He's saying, you know, with the, because you belong to the Messiah. And so anybody that does anything with you, because you're in the Jesus team, and they give you anything, they bless you at all, if they just smile at you, if they give you a cup of water, believe me, the Heavenly Father is going to reward them. Because there's a reward for blessing God's servants. There's a reward for taking care of the ones a prophet's reward comes to someone who blesses a prophet. The Bible talks about that. So he starts here by expressing that to them, to his disciples. And, and because he believed, I, he believed that they were important. He believed that they were chosen because he chose them by direction of the Father. He prayed all night to make sure. So now they're chosen, they're special. They are elite in that respect. And then you can see that Jesus is saying, yes, this is a given. You are special. And anybody that blesses you will be blessed. I understand where this error is coming from. There's some truth and there's some wrong. So the truth is, you are anointed, you are blessed, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, I have sanctioned you, I have laid hands on you, I have sent you out, and anybody that sees that and recognizes you, they're going to be rewarded. So with their blessings of belonging to that group in place, they, they knew, oh, we're blessed. Jesus clarified that. Just like he does for us. He's here with us. He blesses. He gives us his spirit. So we have a special position and we know that. But at this time, that man that they stopped from doing those things, 
He's no longer operating. He's been crippled. He's been wounded. He's been shut down. And the very thing that he needs to do to amass wealth in eternity has been cut down. And I can't help but think he's confused, challenged, sick in heart, probably at home, wondering how he missed it because he knew it felt so good. This is, by the way, how you recognize condemnation. Remember the teaching on condemnation and conviction and the difference? It's cold and judging. It doesn't give you a way out. It points a finger in your face. It shuts you down. That's what John operated in, a spirit of condemnation. Shut that guy down. How dare you? Who authorized you to stop it? You will no longer do this. And, and so he didn't, and he's feeling horrible. And Jesus recognizes this. Just because you're in the Jesus group and you're throwing your weight around like John did, and your authority does not mean that Jesus agrees with you. And Jesus was not in agreement. Authority given is responsibility learned through proper use. The Holy Spirit gave me that exact phrase today. He said authority given is responsibility learned through proper use. In other words, uh, we're going to make errors, but there are penalties of abusing the authority that He gives us. He gives us authority... But we can do just about anything we want with it. By the way, the, the tongue of the prophet is subject to the prophet, the Bible says. So he gives me the anointing. He gives me the authority of God. I have allowed the anointing to flow out of me in different ways at different times. There were times I was not waiting for God to do what He wants to do. I just force it out, make things happen. And I'm not saying that there's not a time to do that. Release the anointing as a witness to show people. But I have pushed too far at times and, and felt like I did something wrong. Even though it looked great and people were laughing and crying and rolling around on the floor in, the, in their own puddle of spit and there was a great manifestation and people got healed. In the early years, I still could feel sometimes something, I did something wrong. I don't know what it is. And I'm not talking about the confusion of a demon spirit coming in or the devil trying to stop me. I knew. And had to go away and pray and ask God, did I do something wrong, Lord? And all the time that I would ask, he would just say, just, you're okay, just um, think. Think about what you're doing. What are your motivations? Why are you doing what you're doing? What is its end result? You have to be responsible with this anointing. You have to be responsible with this authority. I give it to you just like I give Mina's gold bags and talents. You need to do something with it that will cause it to become most fruitful and productive. He gives us that. Now, we are subject to God's desires and His will and His purpose, but it says that, that they went out preaching everywhere and the Holy Spirit worked with them, confirming with signs and wonders. So that means it was a group effort. They were working together. They made choices and decisions. And it says, your peace, you let it out. It doesn't say, just stand there and I'm going to let peace come out of you when I choose. Because it's within your control. You let your peace out, it looks for someone worthy of when it finds them, and then they are able to be connected to you, and it comes back, and you have this. So we need to pay attention to what Jesus is saying here. Number four. We are warned about causing our brother to stumble. If anyone, 
Now he's saying them, you, everybody, not just the disciples, that other guy, you, anyone, anyone is a general category. Remember that this thing that in the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew, the one we looked at, Matthew 18, this is directly in, in the structure of church. So anyone in the universal body of Christ, anybody that believes, because that's the quality of someone is those who believe in me. So if someone believes in Jesus, period. Not if someone believes in Jesus and has the right doctrines about the Spirit. Or if someone believes in Jesus and, and eats the Holy Communion wafer at exactly the right time and way. Or someone believes in Jesus and baptizes by sprinkling water on their head. Or, you know, there's so many things you can add to this, but Jesus didn't. They just need to believe. And as many as believed in him, he had the right to make them children of God. So they became children of God just by believing. That's why it is likened to the covenant of Abraham. He believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he said, if anyone causes one of these little which little ones? Well, those who believe in me. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Now, we have to understand something about millstones here. A millstone looked like a really big, solid rock donut. I've seen them. I've used them in India. They still have them. And they are different sizes. I've seen small mills for smaller seeds, millet and such that you would use in kitchens or grinding spices. Literally, is a stone with a stone center that comes up, and that's where the stone donut, I call it, goes on that thing. And that's where you put the things that you're going to grind in there, and it has a little hole in it where you stick a stick and you just... And it rolls on top of whatever you're grinding. It could be pepper or spices or whatever. You put it in, you mill it, and there's a little spout on the end of it where the things will then gather, and then you pick up that stone and you bring all that powder. If it's a dry grind, you bring it all together. Now, that's why he says large millstone, because obviously a small millstone, you just wear it as a hat. <laughs> but I saw in India, in a village in Maharashtra, a millstone the size of the carpet I'm standing on that required men with big sticks on two sides to walk around it where they would dump large amounts of wheat and other grains and grind it in vast quantities for the whole village. It was a massive millstone. And that stone, that large millstone was so big, so heavy, if they ever had to move it, it required a few men to pick it up. That's what this is talking about. And because it had that hole in the middle to fit the way that it did, he's painting a picture to them, look, you're going to wear this massive, solid granite necklace. I'm going to put it on you. It takes a number of men to carry it, you're going to wear it on your neck and then go for a swim. How's that? And wait, that would be better. That would be a better thing for you to enjoy than what I will do when you hurt one of my little ones. Now you get the weight of the threat. At this point, if I were John, you would see yellow streaks running down my road. I would have been petrified. The Jesus I love, that I have vowed my whole life to defend and take care of, he, he just exposed such a great error. He's mad at me, so mad, that he said that he will do worse to me than make me go swimming with a giant stone donut around my neck. And that's worrisome. God knows how to rebuke when it comes down to it. 
So he's saying, anybody, speaking to his disciples, anybody at all that causes these little ones that believe in me, those not with your higher and more important group, count it. That other guy. Because this is what this is in reference for. He's talking all about that God that John so proudly has forbade from doing the work of God. Now he's telling him, man, you don't know what you did. This is bad. It'd be better if you had a massive stone used for milling wheat shaped like a donut put on your head and then I put you out in the water to go for a swim in the ocean. So what could be worse than that? I mean, I, I, I hate drowning. You say, have you ever drowned? Almost a couple times, yeah. I've taken lungs of water. Have I taken a lung of water and sink? And people had to come pull you out of the pool. That happened to me when I was a small child. I, I'm, I see pools to this day. I'm scared. Shock. I mean, there's trauma in me. So you need deliverance. I don't know. I, don't, I, I'm, I take pools very seriously because I know the pain. So when I hear about this, I know, oh my gosh, how horrible that would that be. But what could be worse than that? Well, what could be worse would be what we're about to see discovered here. And he talks about the fire of hell. Number five. Now, if you stumble, uh, you, may, you may need to sacrifice. Or if you're in a position, now this is where this passage is suddenly in context going to make a whole different sense to you. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life main than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And there's a verse that says where at the end where the worm where it says down there where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. In NIV, the modern NIV, they just put the number there because the original manuscripts they found do not have it written after each one but it was inferred later by translations. So that's what it says there. Better that your hand be cut off than, and, and you enter life maimed than, go, uh, than with two hands go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, I've read this through the years and I've never really looked at it in context. I always thought it's because my hand did something bad. Or my foot did something bad. Or my eye looked at the wrong thing. Maybe I'm looking at pornography. And the only way I can, I just need to gouge my eyes out to be holy. But look at the context because this is like one little layer of cheese. These verses are like one little layer of cheese on a hamburger between two hamburger buns with other things. Meat and lettuce and tomatoes and mustard and pickles. And there in between, it's still a hamburger. So this is talking about relationships with people. And that in the adversity of relationships, there will always be differences. There will always be trouble. So in the illuminating light of the context and subject matter of this, this discussion between Jesus, John, and the disciples, we see what it means. There will be differences between people from other ministries or other churches or even in your own group. They will have different methods and ways of doing things that are not like what we have learned in our Bible school or from our mentors. 
When we go out and relate to other people in the universal body of Christ, we can be misguided to think that our way is the only way. I must confess that some of my disciples that I have trained have done exactly that and have gone out and have judged and hurt people because of the anointing they received in my ministry. And they went out with the mentality that Stephen told me and even said, this is a really bad thing, even said, well, Stephen taught us this, so therefore, eh. and hurt people, and then they came back on me. What kind of disciples do you have? I have, in some realms of the world, I have a bad name because my disciples did things I never told them to do. And what's worse is they did it in my name. He said, Stephen taught us to do this. I did not teach that. And this is why Jesus is also disturbed here because Jesus didn't teach them to do this. They just went out there and did it. And there's people who are going to do whatever people want, are going to do. They, they, they will go out and do silly things and, and therefore it will cause problems. But Jesus is saying there's a more important issue here about these differences. There's a more important issue here. Even if you have a relationship. I think of this passage, I think of what Paul taught us in his letter to the church of the Corinthians about the body of Christ. One is a hand, one is a foot. It mentions all three of these parts. So once again, that's further scripture to prove that this could, and I truly believe in context, it's talking about relationships with people in the church because that's the context he's speaking of. So let's say that you have, and this is what I think he wants us to see, that my relationship with you and the body of Christ is tantamount in importance to my relationship with my own hand. That's how important you are supposed to be to me. That's how important Jesus wants my brother in the ministry anywhere on earth to be to me, that it be like a hand or a foot or an eye. Indispensable, apparently. However, if somehow that relationship with someone so crucial, so important, that we deem as irreplaceable in our lives, and even if we feel we will never make it without them, if there is a divergence. If there is a breaking down and we become offensive to one another, there's a moment that we might be required to separate. It should not be. It should be seen as if you're gouging your eye out or you're cutting your hand off or cutting your foot off. Because Jesus said, this is the last thing I want is for you to have to go through this. But what is the option? The option is, no, I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to be important. I'm going to forbid people. I'm going to hurt people. I'm going to step on the little ones. And yeah, you end up going to hell. Jesus is warning. That's pretty serious. So I, I look at this and I start, I start thinking. There may be things that make you stumble in the lives of other people. Uh, you may find yourself in a relationship with uh, someone that believes, a woman or a brother, our sister in Christ, then in that relationship you discover, wait a minute, we're actually very different. And then, do you ever have someone make a statement in front of you and, it's, and you get this cold feeling because it is so divergent from what you believe that you feel like, wait a minute. And you want to you wanna cut them off right away. Don't be quick to do that. Because it's still your brother. Still your brother. I've developed and cultivated an idea. If somebody came to me and told me outright that they do not agree with the Holy Spirit's presence, 
I have to concede first that they are in ignorance. And they've never really met him. And what they've met is some, some crude facsimile, some rendition, false thing that someone did and branded with the name Holy Spirit. Just like John stepped out and did something and branded it with the name Jesus. And that guy, we don't know, what if that guy went away, became so embittered toward the disciples and their whole movement, he never associated with them, went off and started some cult. Still had the power, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance, so he still had what he received. He'd go out there and use that authority and do those things. He now is enlightened, he's connected to a realm, and if he's in that much pain and there's a root of bitterness in him because of this offensive thing, it leads him on a path that can end up bringing him to hell. And that's where Jesus is concerned. Do you realize the potential of these, this breaking down of relationships? If I can't walk together with you because we can't agree, then no matter how important you may be to me, I can't let us be in a place where we will continue to disagree and sharply fight against each other to the point where we are offending each other all the time and becoming more and more bitter. And the aforementioned Paul and Barnabas again. No small contention. They finally had to agree to disagree and go in different directions, both doing the ministry. But this guy that John has gotten a hold of, he was already doing the ministry. Makes it even worse. Leave people alone. Just let them do what, what they feel they're called to do. You just love. And in loving and caring and accepting people just as they are, they start to want to know more about you, your character, your nature, what you have on you. What is I? I mean, I'm anointed. I know I'm anointed. I know I'm on. In, you know, in light of this message, I would say I'm on the Jesus team when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And not everyone agrees with that kind of a manifestation of the Spirit. What I love, that I have been given the opportunity many, many, many times through these years to be the Spirit-filled guy that convinced the non-Spirit-filled people that the Spirit infilling is real. Having them say words to this effect. I've met a lot of charismatic people. But it's different with you. You have never judged us. You're loving and kind. And I feel something when you speak. And I don't have to say, aha, and I'm right and you're right. No, just, well, you know, everybody relates. This is what I always say. Everybody relates differently. The Spirit manifests in different ways. The Holy Spirit I have found to be amazingly creative in the expression of His love. You don't believe me? Come on a Sunday morning to the Mandarin service and sit in the back. He comes in ways, What? Like we are shocked. Often Anna and I are here. We look at each other like, can you believe this is happening? Like it's so thick and powerful and everybody's like zombies. For no screaming, no laughing, no anything, but holy, so holy, we're afraid to move. Stark contrast with what happens just a few hours later with us bunch of monkeys here on, on Sunday night, which by the way, I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. That's my flavor. I can eat vanilla, but I like Rocky Road. <laughs> the 
a vanilla still ice cream? But some people, it's all, they just want a classic French vanilla. You know, the kind where you can see the little French bean, the little seeds in there, the really high quality ones. That's how you know it's real vanilla, because you see, you pay a little more for that. But so even just plain vanilla can be something wonderful. But I like Rocky Road. I like everything in the kitchen sink. What's the Ben and Jerry's one with everything in the kitchen sink? Everything in there. I like fun. I like vibrant, crazy, wild. I like the Holy Spirit to knock me out. I like the Holy Ghost to just turn me upside down and shake the change out of my pockets and rob me. You know, I want, I want the power of God to, to ravage me to where I'm left like, can you believe that happened? But he does that in a whole different way on Sunday morning. And I've been there many, he just did that. Same thing. Because I've learned from these experiences, he just did that. We were in the meeting there in Cambodia. Great Sylvia did a wonderful job hosting us, bringing us in. We had people from all different faiths uh, there. You saw the pictures and you know what I'm talking about. All different. And, and I just taught. I did the message very simple. We had worship. Um, I wouldn't say it was uh, a very anointed uh, happening. Some people, they were all sang and got into it, but not quite like what just happened a moment ago with us. Because it's different. But then I did the message, and as I said, it was a moment when he walked in that room, and it was downright frightening. He walked in, and I watched every... People literally went from this to... Afraid, just like the fear of the Lord filled the place. And, and my brother in was translated... He got close to me because I started I started speaking quiet. You know the Catherine Coleman thing? We start talking quiet. I said, the master is here. And Rin said, what? <laughs> and I said, tell him the master is here. And he says, the master's here. <laughs> and I was like, Rin, get with it, man. Come on. Didn't matter, the master was there. And his, and his, he just filled the room. It was beautiful. Suddenly I started seeing things. I saw images. I saw a gift of the word of knowledge started operating. I saw someone's brain with a hemorrhage on the right side and a division and a blood clot between some brain matter. And then we spoke and about those things in prayer. And I watched that, that stuff disappear. And then I saw something in someone's hip. And I just, I just started with the, what the master was explaining to me. And he just comes, that's how the gifts work. He just comes and starts telling you stuff. He's so real, so prevalent in the moment, you can't miss it. People try to move in the gifts, they think, oh, I just need to think, well, tell me something. Tell me. No, you, it's like he's yelling it at you in that moment. You don't have a choice. I see it. It's like he just stuck a picture in your face. See that? Tell him. Like, okay, I'll tell him. So I spoke out those words. There were very significant things spoken related to people that were in that meeting. They came up and told me later that you have, you had, how did you know what you could have known? This, that, this happened, that happened, and people, people were touched. Powerful. Different, but different, totally different. Totally different. Because I have conceded to the fact that there are people out there casting devils out in his name that are not a part of my team, or think the way I think, or act the way I act. But they still love him, and they're still subject to him. And if you can learn to love and accept him as they are, when he does come, he will manifest himself to them just as he does to you. And as real as He is to you, He is through you. Yes. Unless you have guarded yourself and you have put up a barrier and a wall of some type of misguided allegiance averaged to a code 
that Jesus never authored in your special eliteness, that's pride, that's human pride. This is the way we believe. And, and it, you all, we guard the doctrine sometimes, you know, brother. Yeah, yeah, but gosh, let God be God and you be man. Let God be true and every man a liar. It's easy to just say every man's a liar. Half of what's coming out of mouth could be a lie. I just know God is true. And take the half that's good. Don't throw the baby out with the bath water. Just take the baby. I'll dump the tub later. Just because you in every ministry, you go in every ministry thinking 100 percent is going to be right. You're already setting yourself up for a disaster. Yes. You have the Holy Spirit. You don't need it. any man teach you. You have an unction from the Holy One that protects you. You go and you listen. You pick up and learn and discern. If it's anointed and you feel it, you know he's put his signature all over it. This mind anoints it. Sometimes you find the anointing in places you never expected to find it. Just like when you get to heaven, you're going to see people there that you never expected to see there. They're going to be just strolling down the golden streets and you're going to be like, what in the world? There's no way. How did you get in here? Believe in Jesus. I knew you. I knew you. Yeah, well, I never really told you. Made it anyway. Don't judge. Just do what he sent you to do. Don't do what you decide to do on your own without him. John went and just did a thing that he decided to do. I'm going to tell this guy he can't do this, and now he's having to deal with this kind of rebuke. Scared to death. Number six, we all get tested with the fire of relationships. He said, he just continues, everyone will be salted with fire. Wow. So we see that this fire of relationships, differences, problems, misunderstandings, it's common to all of us. When Jesus spoke this in Matthew 18, he was speaking about the standard of interaction within the community of the church for problem resolution. We have an issue, we're going to solve it. Jesus would never have said it if he didn't expect completely that there would be a lot of differences in the church. But resolve it. Find a way. Worst case, you have to diverge. Let that person leave from your group and go to another group. Send them, if you have to throw them out, throw them out. That's fine. Don't cause them to stumble. Be very careful. So we are given this task. We're given this responsibility. And because we're all going to be tried in this way, we all will have relationships that fail and have serious disagreements with people, but we must truly watch our hearts. Do all that we can. If and when it gets to the point of separation, then we can separate. But understand that Jesus is saying, this brother, this person that you can't get along with is as important to you as your eye or your hand or your foot. You know, if you can, I like what Paul said to the Romans in 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, that is him conceding to the fact there's moments it's just not going to be possible. This is true. Uh, as far as it depends on you. In other words, you can only do your part. This, what depends upon you, make sure you be found guiltless. That you've done everything to bring everybody into harmony and love in unity. Do everything you can to love. Blessed are the peacemakers. Be the child of God that he's called you to be. Be kind and merciful and do everything if it's possible. Whatever your part is, make sure that you're found having done it to live at peace with 
everyone. And that's what brings us to number seven. Learn through the experience and stay salty. Mark 9.50. Jesus, this scene is like disconnected, but it is the same discussion. He goes like straight out of this as he's speaking to them where he, he says to them, or everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. He goes right on. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. This is the punchline to the whole thing. All Jesus wants is peace. He wants you to be at peace with each other. With everything that you could possibly do. But understand that if there's no salt, you're worthless. So your question is, what is salt? Salt is the adversity of the relationships. Well, what good is salt? Well, salt preserves. Salting is an ancient method of preserving perishable ingredients. Think about what salt does in our food today. You say, well, I just don't eat salt. You eat salt all the time. You eat snacks that you love. Why? Because they have a lot of salt on them. Why? So that they don't rot. How many of you like salted things, things that have been preserved? Chinese culture is wild about salting. They salt everything. <laughs> So it doesn't, they had to because they didn't have refrigeration. And salt in itself, salt in is used because most bacteria, fungi, and other potentially pathogenic organisms cannot survive in a highly salty environment. So it can't, they can't, the bacteria can't multiply. It, it is innocuous to you. It's not harmful to you because it's preserved by the salt itself due to the hypertonic nature of salt. In any living cell in such an environment of saltiness will become dehydrated through osmosis and die or become temporarily inactivated. So, when I look at it this way. When we're brought into the body of Christ, we're mixed with many people, many different ideas. All of us are uniquely designed and conditioned through life to be a certain way by culture, by nationality, ethnicity, by mentorship, by our past Christian experiences. We all have different mentalities. I hear... You speak sometimes things to me. All of you say things, and, and there's things you say sometimes I just I don't agree with. I don't tell you right away. I don't agree with that. You shall not cast out devils in his name. No, I would not do that. Because you are in your realm of development. Now, if it's an error that I think is going to lead you to hell, I'm going to tell you. You know, you might want to think about this doctrine. But different ideas are there, different things, and maybe that's part of what God needs for you. So the church world really is the body of Christ at large is like a big container where we're all put in to keep us safe. We're in the confines of the church. And if everything went great and there were no divergences of opinions or ideas, then we would be a bunch of mindless automatons just doing what minions, just do whatever we're told. And then nothing would happen. It would be so boring. And, but it's not like that. There's differences, so as a result, there's salt. The salt of relationships. The adversity of our divergences and our differences cause us to disagree at times, but that's growth comes from that preservation. We learn maturity through that, so we will last for the long haul. We're preserved by the saltiness. And that's why Jesus is saying here, you need salt. Stay salty. Salt's good. But if it loses its saltiness... In other words, I think what he's saying in the context of the whole thing, and I might be stretching a little bit here, but he's saying that if you are running away from relationships simply because they fall apart, and you're not working your hardest, and you find it easy to cut your hands and feed off and pl pluck out your eyes at any given moment, then, then you're never going to be cured 
in the sense of curation of meats and things. You're never going to be preserved. Salt's good. You need salt. It's going to help you. You'll become strong. You'll become preserved. You'll be able to last for a long time. Have salt among yourselves. And be at peace with each other. I think we can do both. I think that we can have peace. Uh, you know, we need to salt the environment of relationships and differences, but we can be at peace with one another, although we are very different in our opinions. Because I'll accept anyone. And that, not just the... Now, likely, because in a church, really, it's more like Team Jesus. We're all pretty much the same mentality. But there are little uh, opinions and ideas. But if we go together to a different ministry, or if people come into our church from another ministry, well, they've already been preconditioned by a lot of doctrines and ideas. So what? Just they don't. Just... It may be that God can use you to bring them into the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It may be that God can use you to bring them into a real relationship with them they've never known before. But the last thing you want to do is tell them to stop what they're doing now. Leave them alone. Just live an example. Talk about Jesus, about your love for Him, your relationship for Him. And if they don't know it that way, they'll tell you. I don't really that happened to you? I don't really relate to Him that way. I would like that. Then now they're open and interested to develop that kind of intimacy because you didn't judge them. Just love everybody as much as is possible. As long as it depends upon you. Live at peace with every body. And so I do try. It doesn't always work. And sometimes relationships end and not by my choice. What I believe is that there will be an ultimate reconciliation, not in eternity. I think on earth I will be reconciled with all the people through the years from whom I have broken off. Barnabas is going to come back. We're going to meet together somewhere. You know, the whole point of contention was, was um, uh, the, the, uh, John Mark. John Mark was a relation of Barnabas, as his nephew, and that's why Barnabas favored him, but, but Paul was angry at him because he abandoned them in the middle of the mission field and the work. They needed him, and he just ran off. It's frustrating when you have a job to do, and the person you need to do it's not there because they ran off, and they're not helping you, so that he was angry at John Mark because of that. And then, But years later, in a letter, God made, made it, sufficient in the letters to show us that he asked for John Mark to come and work in his ministry. Oh yeah, send the parchments in. And John Mark too, he's needful to me. I need, I need. he's so value. And so, there was a reconciliation somewhere along. I don't know what happened to Barnabas. But he was reconciled with John Mark, who was the very cause of the contention. So there's hope. No matter what, if you've had people that you're close to and there was a divergence or problem or separation, God is the God of reconciliation. He loves healing. So I believe we all will stand on one stage in one day. I believe all those pastors and leaders and preachers and teachers, and even in this past week, I, I'm getting reconnected with someone that I, I, was, I was disconnected from 30 years ago. And I'm excited about it. They're part of the big missions movement. I met some of the people connected with them, and I'm hoping for a nice reconciliation with them and love to be connected with that and helpful in any way that I can to serve that and vice versa. We can certainly use help from them, their organization, their group. I have a lot of projects coming up and it's projects for the body of Christ, not just for one church. 
we can all do together. And I really, I really feel that that's the theme of this day and this age and what is rising is a call to unity and harmony that we can all walk together as the body of Christ to see greater things accomplished so that we as four men on a roof will be able to lower the paralytic through that hole right in front of Jesus. That it could, wouldn't have been possible one guy trying to haul that man on top of a roof by himself holding him, trying to kick a hole. And I think of how difficult it would have been. Probably not even possible. He probably would have been trying to pull the guy up there by himself and drop him and kill him. And, you know, just I can think of all kinds of horrible things that could have happened. But there were four of them. So two on the ground could hoist one paralyzed guy up while two on the roof could grab him. They had the strength sufficient to put him up there. And then haul the other guys up there, all four of them lowering him down through the hole that was made by those people together as a team. So, you know, we were all here for that message, and I'm excited about that day and that age in which we will see great things happen in Christ. Amen? I mean, we learned something. This is what we saw. Differences exist between God's people. Duh. We are all brothers by another mother. Uh, we may be brothers of some of the same mother here because we're kind of in the same understanding, but there are brothers out there uh, we will be rewarded for loving our brothers. Anything you do to anybody that is serving Jesus in any way, you are going to get rewarded for it. So just do good to everybody. We are warned, or it says we, um, we are warned about causing our brother to stumble. Jesus says you better be careful. Stumbling is going to happen. There is going to be offenses that come, but woe to the, to the one through whom it comes. And that's what he said in Matthew. It would be better that that millstone be put on your neck. And he said the same thing here. If you stumble, you may need to sacrifice. Worst case scenario. But as much as is possible, make it right. But what you will never do is stop. Never stop. Just go. You do what you need to do, but try your hardest not to have a legacy of moving constantly from group to group to group if the reason that you're moving is not promotion but division. Because sometimes you move from group to group simply because you outgrew it. And God has a new thing for you. And promotion will come. All my mentors, I didn't leave any of them because of a divergence in our opinions. Although we had very diverse perspectives. I went because it was time for me to climb to the next level on the staircase. And I left that one after that and that one after that. And it continued through the years growing and learning. And that's a good way to develop and go on. We all get tested with the fire of relationships. So everybody, everyone will be salted with fire. It's not comfortable, it's not, you know, it, it is painful, but we go through it so that we can learn through the experience and stay salty. It's just stay in the, in the brine, swim in the brine, and be pickled. For long, you just, you know, you, you, you are, there's nothing, nothing bad can happen to or through you because you're preserved and you're salted and the bacteria, nothing, no diseases can grow through you. That's a wonderful aim, I think. Amen. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.